I met a guy here a couple, three, four weeks ago, who uh, started coming to the church, uh, Ronnie Rogers, and he's a swim coach here in town, and uh, got word today his 26-year-old son was killed in an automobile accident uh, somewhere over in Denton. We don't have any details, but if you're having a rough day, uh, you're not anymore, are you? That puts everything in perspective. Let's bow our heads and pray for uh, Ronnie and his family. Now, now Father, th this is the ultimate reality. And uh, this, family's, uh, uh, this family's whole life has changed here in a matter of hours. Life was real different last night than it is today. We pray for this family. We we pray for their. We pray for their foundation. I know Ronnie's foundation is upon you. And as the whole family is in a complete state of shock, we pray, Lord, that their faith would be real and that your presence would be real. And in their darkest hour that they would know that you are with them. These, these, are, these are the deep pits. This is the deepest pit. And we pray for their... Um, we pray for them, Lord, as a family, that they would, they would draw closer together through this adversity than they've ever been before. So we pray that you would minister to them. And Lord, we pray for ourselves because uh, life can be difficult. Life can uh, break us down. Sometimes it's not a big thing. Sometimes it's just a bunch of little things that eat us alive. But when we hear something like this, it puts everything into perspective. So we say, we say thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your mercy and your kindness to us. We want to focus on that tonight. We want to be thankful men. We want to be grateful men because we have, we have so much. Just driving over here tonight, for some reason I was thinking about the unbelievable affluence that we have and that we live in. Going down that tollway, 70 miles an hour, Nice cars, nice houses, nice shopping centers, nice everything. We've been given so much. And if we're not careful, we can get resentful because of what we don't have. We thank you for the way you've been so kind to us and so gracious and so good. I, uh, I pray for us over the summer break, Lord. Uh, you, you have a plan for every season of our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that, um, that you have a plan for each of us. I pray that we will grow. I pray that we'll continue to mature. I pray that you'll make us better men. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Chad. We're going to do something a little bit different to give Steve a little bit of a break here for a few minutes. Steve, why don't you go ahead and sit down and... Uh, you know, this has been a great year. Uh, we've talked about 
Steve's taught us about Proverbs. He's taught us about Judges. And I get the privilege of talking to you guys before and afterwards, and I just hear wonderful stories about what this ministry and what Steve's uh, preaching to us has meant to you and how it's changed your lives. I'd like to give you an opportunity to come up, and, or I can come to you with a microphone, and just spend a minute or two and uh, tell us how this has encouraged you and what, what kind of a difference it's made in your life. Just a couple of guys, and uh, after that, then we'll, we'll do some Q&A with, uh, with Steve. Does anybody have a, a story they'd like to tell? That's a little bit on the spot, but uh, on. Well, Steve knows how much uh, I enjoy his preaching each and every week. But um, we've got a guy over in Iraq right now that's getting his CDs, and his name's Larry Green. Uh, Larry was an usher here, and he's on the line. He uh, spent over 30 years in the service. He's a colonel. And he decided that he needed to be there to defend his country. Um, so he's getting those CDs, and we communicate often. And Steve, I can't tell you how many guys have heard those over there that he's passing around. He, and he said it really is a morale booster, and it gives him an opportunity to try and have some Bible studies too. So way to go. He really appreciates it. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Um, I, I'm really thankful to Steve, too. I started coming to this Bible study about two and a half years ago. Uh, I've been divorced for about three and a half years, and that was pretty rough on my family. And my oldest son, Shane, comes with me, and I think that this has been such a learning thing for me personally and you know I have three kids so I still need to try to keep my family together and lead them in the right way and uh, Steve's really made the Bible come alive for me and in my faith as well thank you by the way guys that's my dentist, Rick Miller, right there. That guy's pretty darn good, and I think, uh, yeah, yeah. In fact, Rick, didn't you say you do a free cavity filling for everybody in the room? Didn't you say that? Yeah. Thanks, Rick. That's good. I'm glad you said that, Steve. I got. Two wisdom teeth I got to have filled Friday, removed Friday. So I'll come see you. So I just want to tell you how blessed we are. We are from Garland here. And this is Tom, his brother-in-law, got us over here. We came two or three times. But I think I met Steve at Promise Keepers. And I never will forget the things he said there. It always stuck in my mind. I never will forget it. I always go back and tell someone about Steve. I tell my sons, my daughters, my wife, if you just could only come to Promise Keepers. I've been trying to get my sons to come, but they won't come. But I want to let everyone here know that we come from Garland. And you be on that interstate, that's a long ways. But it's not long far to come to hear Steve say the words that he's going to say. And I'm catching a ride, but as long as they come, I'll come. I appreciate you, Steve. You're a good man.
Anyone else? You know, I, uh, one of the things that's really neat about hearing these stories, it's great to hear you guys talk about that, but what's really neat to hear is when your wives come up and say, you wouldn't believe what a difference this Bible study has made in my husband's life. He is a new man. We have a godly husband and father in our house now. And, man, I'll, I'll tell you what, that, that just that charges me up when you hear that, 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 uh, that the Lord is using Steve in just some wonderful ways to, uh, to reach out to many of you in here and to uh, move us and guide us in the direction that uh, the Lord would have us to go. Let's open it up to, for some uh, question and answers. Uh, you want to talk about judges or proverbs or hey, whatever you guys want to do? I, I figured we'd hear from some guys who didn't like me, <laughs> but they don't come anymore. I'll bring the mic to you. So if you got a question, just raise your hand. And let's just we'll do. Up. Let's kind of open this, guys. And you know these Q and A deals work really well when someone asks a question. <laughs> and when they don't, they go really flat. So uh, you got to get involved here. And I know we don't normally do this, but if you've been here throughout the year. We've done a ton of stuff. And uh, so here's your shot. This isn't a question so much as a, as a comment, uh, because I understand you're going to be at our men's retreat this fall. I am. And, uh, and we all get other churches looking. Uh, it's not going to be hard to suspect that we're going to sell out. So, um, 272. Is that how many it'll hold? So my suggestion, guys, is to go get online and get your reservations. It was good without him. It'll be better with him. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. 272, huh? Yeah. That's not as many as is in here. Well, we'll all go in your suburban. That's that'll, right. That'll work. <laughs> yeah, okay. For you guys that got in here late tonight, we're not doing the normal thing. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm fighting a little stuff here, dental-wise. Uh, Rick fixed me up. And I really mean that in a good way. He, he's really done. He, he fixed me up, and some other guys screwed me up. And uh, he's really been a godsend. But uh, because it's new and it's fresh, I get a little nerve thing. And uh, so, I, so that I don't commit heresy tonight, we're just doing some question and answer. It's our last night. For some of you guys that got in late, I explained this earlier. So a little different uh, shift tonight, if that's all right. Yeah, right here. Uh Steve, uh, what was the time span during which Israel had judges, and why were there no kings during this time period? Yeah, okay. Someone else have a question. <laughs> that was a really good question, but I need another one. Uh, there, were no, there were no kings. The kings came uh, directly after, because right after... Um, Right after Judges, you get into Ruth, and then you're going to get into 1 Samuel. And it was Samuel that God then raised up to establish kings. And interestingly enough, uh, Samuel's mother's name was Hannah, and she couldn't bear children. So she went to the temple and asked God to give her a child. And when she was pregnant, then she consecrated her and her husband, young Samuel, to the Lord. And uh, so after a certain age, he actually, they took him to the temple, and he was raised by the priest Eli. Um, this is uh, 1 Samuel 1, 1 Samuel 2. And then um, Eli, who was the priest, uh, 
Eli did not discipline his sons. Uh, it says in 1 Samuel 2 that his sons were worthless men. And it also goes on and says that he, he knew the sin they were doing. as They were priests as well, his sons. I'm answering your question about kings. Just give me a couple minutes here. His sons were priests, but they would steal from the sacrifices that were made. And then they were also sleeping with women in the temple. This is 1 Samuel 2. And uh, so the Lord sends a man of God to Samuel, uh, to Eli. And he tells him what he's going to do. He's going to judge his house. And then young Samuel hears a voice in the middle of the night. He thinks it's Eli. He goes to Eli. Eli says, it's not me. He goes back to Eli. I heard the voice again. Long story short, Eli says, that must be the Lord. And the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, I'm going to judge Eli in his house. Because he knew what his sons did, but he did not rebuke them. Eli was passive. Now what's interesting about that is that Samuel was raised in this home, and Samuel saw this occurring. But in 1 Samuel, uh, you know, Eli dies, and I think you get to 1 Samuel 8. Yeah. For Samuel 8. Here's your answer about the kings. It came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons. Now, this is Samuel now, not, not Eli. It came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his son judges, his sons judges over Israel. And they're listed there. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Behold, you have grown old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Interesting. Um, if Samuel had to learn from Eli, and we don't have the details on Samuel and his sons, but the very strong intonation is, is that Samuel committed the same errors that Eli did. And so the men of Israel come to him and say, we cannot allow your sons to rule over us. We need a king. What if Samuel had have done the work? What if... Anyway, that's how kings came about. That's, that's how it came about. So there was a 300-year snapshot for the first king came on the scene that's covered in the book of Judges. It's a long answer to a short question. But it's a good question. And we also said that not every man who has a prodigal son, if you've got a prodigal, that doesn't mean you were an Eli. You're only an Eli if, if you're passive. You're only an Eli if you refuse to be involved. Uh, you're only an Eli if, if you ignore what's going on. Then, then you're an Eli. That's uh, important to understand. Yes, sir, right here. Will. Oh, I we got, got one, one back here. here. So sorry. Okay, Brad's Brad, we'll Hang go on. to Brad. We'll get to you. Sure, yeah. Steve, maybe a softball. And enjoyed your book, King Me, yeah, written thanks. to sons. Mm hmm. Uh, I have two daughters, yeah. and maybe looking at Proverbs 30, 31, 
Yeah. About a righteous woman. Yeah. What things would you emphasize, would you say, for fathers of daughters who, who want them to grow up to be righteous women? Well, I think, uh, you know, there, I, there are no verses that I know of in the Scripture that tell husbands, that tell fathers uh, how to relate to their daughters. There are all kinds of passages that say how we are to handle our sons. But I, I've never seen a passage that says, fathers, here's how you handle your daughters. But I believe that the passages that instruct husbands on how to treat their wives are the passages that apply as to how we're to raise our daughters. Because most daughters, the vast majority of daughters, grow up and get married, and therefore they become wives. Now, how is a daughter going to know what she should be looking for? Uh, I think she knows that by looking, and she probably does it unconsciously, at the example of her father and how her father handles her mother. So when it says in 1 Peter 3, you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, speaking of her fact that she's physically weaker, I think an application of that is you fathers live with your daughters in an understanding way. So when your daughter, you know, when these guys begin to circle the house in high school, I remember that. I remember seeing this one kid. He had a red pickup. I'd look out. He, 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 you know, he's real shy, but he'd drive by a lot. And uh, one night I ran after him and said, don't come back. No, I did. I'm just kidding. But you know how it is, you know. But these guys start, they start coming around. Well, when, when these young men come into your daughter's uh, life, I think what she does is, I think she puts up an invisible template of her father's example. It can be a negative example, it can be a positive. And so if this young guy comes into her life and they start getting interested and serious, and he is harsh with her and critical, I think he'll bounce off of the example of her father who lived with her mother in an understanding way and granted honor to the mother. See how that works? I also think it's harder for guys to relate to daughters just because we weren't girls. I, I mean, I think in my case, definitely, I, it was easier for me with John and Josh than it was for Rachel because I didn't have a clue what she was going through. I mean, I tried to understand and all that. But I've told Rachel many times, I think she got the short end of the stick. So at times I would ask her, I would ask her how I could be a better dad. And uh, she'd say, oh, Dad, you're doing fine. I said, yeah, but you know, give me something. Give me something specific. What could I do? What, where can I improve? She says, I, I hate it when you yell. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> so she got me working on not yelling. So she calmed me down. I, that's my answer, Brad. The little girls are saying, queen me. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Well. In our study of the kings and, and, uh, and judges and that kind of thing, we keep hearing about fathers who are not good examples for their kids or kids who didn't go the way of their fathers. Are there good examples of fathers whose kids followed their way? Oh, yeah. Are, is there a particularly good one? 
Out of the Kings, you mean? Out of the Kings? Well, out of the Kings, out of the Old Testament. The, the Kings, the, yeah. The problem with the Kings is that the Kings are a picture, of, of, uh, once again, of spiritual deterioration. And if you recall, out of the 43 Kings, only eight of those guys were called good, and about five out of the eight were marginal. Um, that, that, that's the problem with none of the guys in the north. The first guy in the north was Jeroboam, and, and all of the, all who set up a counterfeit system of worship in the north, because he didn't want them going to the south, to Jerusalem, to worship three times a year as they were supposed to. So on his own, he says, well, we'll set it up in Bethel and Dan. You can go there and worship. He was going to franchise this thing. And then he thought, because they, they won't go to Jerusalem, because if they go to Jerusalem, then they'll be attracted to Rehoboam. Well, nobody in their right mind would be attracted to Rehoboam. That's why they split in the first place. But he was so insecure, he felt like he couldn't obey God. So he, he sets up two other places of worship, sets up golden, idol, uh, golden calves. Where did we hear that before? Hadn't been done since Aaron. Uh, and, and so all the guys in the north follow the example of Jeroboam. And then in the south, it wasn't much better, but every once in a while you get a good king. So it's hard. It's hard to find out of the kings. It's hard to find, uh, it's really hard to find a good example, you see? Uh, that's a real sad thing, isn't it? That's a real sad thing. Which is interesting because, as we've said in here recently, when you get to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, verse 6, and then you have the 400 years of silence before the New Testament starts, it ends on this note, and he, when he comes, referring to John the Baptist, Luke 1, 17, and he, when he comes, will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the lamb of the curse. So much of the Old Testament is the spiritual deterioration of the nation, and so much of the spiritual deterioration of the nation begins not only with a man not following the Lord, but when a man doesn't follow the Lord, then he doesn't take care of his children and take care of his biblical responsibility. And you see it in our nation. You see fathers being, uh, in the black families in America, the fathers basically, I, I, you have kids in the inner city, little black children, who not only don't have fathers, they don't know anybody who has a father. And what's happening in the white community, we're about a generation behind that. We're losing our fathers like crazy. So, you see, the same issue in the Old Testament, as a nation deteriorates, that's what we're seeing in our, in our, in our nation. we got all this affluence, but we're losing our fathers. It's kind of sobering, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, right over here, John. Steve, my son's a... Uh Son Eric's a Marine major. He spent eight months in Fallujah from August to the end of March. So he was over there during the elections, and I was busy sending him emails about what's going on, and the liberals are trying. And we were sending your CDs, and at one point he wrote me, emailed me, said, Dad, stop sending me that crap. All it does is get me pissed off and, yeah. and discouraged. Send me positive things. Yeah. So then it became pictures of dogs and mountains and jokes and, and your CDs. And your CDs... Spent a lot I'm, of not, time. I'm not sure that's a compliment. No. <laughs> no. Your CD spent a lot of time floating around Fallujah. Okay. 
Yeah. The question I've got is, yeah. in Kings and Judges, we see this cycle of decadence and recovery, and it just goes on and on for hundreds of years, and sometimes you wonder why God is so patient, mm -hmm. and yet we see the parallels going on in this country and in yeah. Europe, and you just wonder how long he really uh, is yeah. going to let us ride this. So That's I just right. want to comment on that. Yeah. Well, the worst-selling book I ever wrote was a book called Get in the Ark. Um, it's about it's about the judgment of God. That 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 God judges uh, individuals and God judges nations. And I've had some guys say, "Oh, that's Old Testament, you know, and it's not this dispensation." Well, you know, there was judgment. If you read Isaiah, there's judgment on all the nations. Well, why should we think God still doesn't judge nations? If you read history, you'll see the rise and the and the fall. Now, if you think God's not active in that, you're, I think you don't know your Bible. Uh, God, God judges nations. I think God will judge this nation. I think God, there, when judgment comes on a nation, judgment comes incrementally. I, I, I think it's very interesting that um, when you study, um, when you study Revelation, when you study Daniel, when you, you know, Chuck did a great series on prophecy. And uh, it's really hard. Uh, well, it's, it's virtually impossible to find the United States there. Now, you can surmise and speculate, well, why aren't we there? Well, I don't know why we're not there. But we're not there. You would expect us to be there. And, of course, we don't know the time frame on all those things. But right now, we're the big boy in the block. Uh, it would seem to me that something happens. Now, I don't know what's going to happen, but so oftentimes, great nations collapse, and they collapse internally. Now, uh, this is why I love studying the Old Testament, because, again, as 1 Corinthians 10 says, these things, the Old Testament, was written for our instruction. Uh, you'd have bad kings, you'd have good kings. John Calvin said when God wants to judge a nation, he gives them wicked rulers. And so you look at the Old Testament, you see wicked, 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 and then you'll have a good king pop up like Hezekiah. Or you'll have a good king. Uh, after Hezekiah's son Manasseh came on, he was the worst king ever uh, up until then. Um, and then you get a Josiah. All I know is God's calling the shots. Uh, how blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. On September 11th, wasn't it interesting the next Sunday? They literally turned people away here. John, you know, you worked at parking lots. Okay. And it was true not just here, but every church in Dallas, you see. Now, what happened the next Sunday? Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong here. Don't take this wrong. Just, just think this through biblically. What we got after September 11th, um, in fact, the night after September 11th, they had a joint prayer session in Congress that I heard on the radio coming over here. And, and Lloyd, John, uh, Lloyd John Ogilvie, who was the chaplain of the Senate, was, I mean, it was phenomenal what was being prayed. And there was a sense of urgency 
What we got out of September 11th, here's what we needed. We needed to get repentance. What we got was patriotism. We all love our country. We die for our country. But we better love God more than we love our country. And what is needed, what is needed is repentance. Because we have some things to be ashamed of. Um, we're, we're, we're slaughtering babies at an unbelievable rate. We're, we've, got, we've got a group that's attempting to legitimize homosexual marriage. And this is why what's going on in the Senate is a biblical issue, not a political issue. Why is it? Why is it? That's Bill Frist on the phone. <laughs> Ask yourself this question. Why is it that, that Clinton's judicial appointees only needed 51 votes? Why is it that Bush's need 60? That's the issue right there. You want to know why? Because, because they're, the, these people they're targeting, they're against, they know they're against abortion. And see, they don't want them in there because they want to continue to slaughter babies. They would not be, they wouldn't find rights in the Constitution that don't, don't exist. So they're against them. See, those are biblical and moral issues. You don't have to take a political tact. I'm just saying, we've got to understand, these are the issues that were in the book of Judges. These are the issues that were in Israel. Um, and as I said the other night, we have an opportunity to exercise our voice. I think, I think Christians should do that while we have the opportunity. Because the next generation, if we lose it now, we're, we're, we've lost it. And our grandkids won't have that opportunity. But I think, in my opinion, judgment will come. If we don't turn, we'll experience judgment. You say, When's, what kind of final judgment? That, I don't know, and I don't speculate there. But I think it'll happen. I think it happened, to, you, you saw in the last century, you saw, you saw Britain. So, but what do I know? I heard uh, Coach Wooden being interviewed recently. Coach Wooden, yeah. Yes, sir. He... <clears throat> What was interesting was he uh, defined success and then established the components to reach that destination. Just like you'd have, a, if you're going to take a trip, you'd pick out a destination and then map, map yeah. it out how you're going to get there. Right. Have you given any consideration to a, a long-term perspective of, of success? Long-term perspective meaning biblical something that's going to stand the test of time and the components to reaching that success? For me, personally? For or, men. Or for men, yeah. Um, yeah, I have. Um, I'll tell you personally what, what I do. Um, you guys are familiar with the prayer of Jabez. It's in the Bible. I think it's a good thing. And I'm just giving you this personally. Personally, I don't pray that. I don't pray that God will expand my borders because uh, I don't know that I could handle it if he did. What I pray is that his will would be done, and I pray that he would give me what I need to do the work that I need to do. But I don't know what God wants me to do, so I don't ask him personally 
I don't ask him to increase my ministry. I ask his favor to be upon my life. Um, he knows where I need to be, and I trust him to put me where he wants me to be. Uh, here's how I pray that he'll bless me. I, I, I ask him to bless me through my children. Going back to Will and the Old Testament guys. That's what I want God to do for me. I ask him to bless me through my children, and I ask him to bless me through their children and through their children. I, uh, do you guys know about George McCluskey? George McCluskey lived 100 years, 125 years ago. Uh, not famous, just an average guy. Got married, had two daughters. He loved the Lord. Uh, he's raising these little girls. He realized what a challenge that was even 125 <coughs> years ago, 100 years ago. Um, there were two things he wanted to see happen before the Lord. He wanted his little girls to come to know Christ with all their heart. And secondly, he wanted them, as they became, became young women, to marry godly young men. It was so important to him that he took his lunch hour. He took time every day at lunch, and he prayed that God would answer that prayer. He'd draw my, my, my daughters to you, and would you give them godly young men to marry? Uh, then it dawned on him, he'd been doing that for a number of years, he dawned on him, well, if my daughters get married, they're going to have children. So he included their children. Now, his little girls are like, you know, eight and ten. So he added to his prayer, and Lord, when you give them children, would you bring each of their children to know you and love you? And each of those children, would you give them a godly spouse when they grow up? And then one day it hit him, well, they'll have children. So he consistently, every day, prayed for the next three generations of his family. And here's what happened. His daughters came to know the Lord and, and loved the Lord with all their heart. His daughters uh, both married godly young men. Interestingly enough, both young men became pastors. He didn't pray for that. God just kind of threw it in. It's called compound interest. Next generation comes along. Uh, all of them came to know the Lord. Uh, all of them married spouses who loved the Lord. Interestingly enough, all the girls of that generation married pastors. All the boys of that next generation became pastors. He didn't ask for that. God just did it. Third generation comes along. Verse 2 of that generation are boys. They're cousins, they're friends. They wind up going to college together. And uh, that first year of college, uh, one of the boys, they both knew the Lord, loved the Lord, but one of the boys his freshman year felt like God was calling him to be a pastor. And the other boy, who was his roommate, started feeling the heat because he knew the story. And he didn't want to be a pastor. He had no inclination to be a pastor. I mean, he... he Christian, loved the Lord, had no interest in going into ministry. Uh, never did, finished his schoolwork, went on, got a master's, went on, got a doctorate. He never went into the ministry. But there are some of us who think that James Dobson has a ministry. You guys know Jim Dobson's the black sheep of his family. 
He's the first guy in three generations not to be a pastor. George McCluskey died three... George McCluskey was his paternal great-grandfather, uh, maternal great-grandfather, who died three months before James Dobson was born. But uh, Dobson will tell you, he believes the blessing of God on his ministry is the direct result of the prayers of a man he never met three generations before. So I pray for my kids, and I pray for their kids. That's, I have no issue, you know, I have no issue. I want you to understand, that's just a personal thing with me. That to me is, I would ask God to do that for me. I would consider that his mercy, uh, that, that would be a great success. And, and it would be a gift of God, wouldn't it? Because you can't manufacture it. You can't make kids, some of you guys raise kids to know the Lord, and they're away from the Lord. You can't make a kid do what's right. You can't do it. So it's all, it's all, it's all grace, isn't it? That's how I'd view it. Okay. You up for two more? Okay, we'll do two more. All right. I wanted to revisit the, the thing you said about Sam, Samuel. In all of the, uh, the whole Bible that I've been through, there are very few men who never had something negative uh, attributed to them through the, the writings in the Scripture. Sure. Jesus Christ, one. Samuel, number two. Uh, maybe Elisha and Elijah. Daniel. And, and Daniel. And beyond that, maybe Enoch. Okay. And Enoch, walk with God. And, and beyond that, it says, this is what happens when people do not follow the Lord. Mm -hmm. All of the other examples, mm -hmm. even the ones who are good, David, right. who was a man who sought you know, after yeah. God's own heart. Right. And even he fell short. Right. But he was uh, considered faithful to God because he repented and, right. he, and he sought after God. Right. So it's just a, the picture, the whole Bible, all these characters are given to us to say, hey, sure. these are examples Sure. And there will be some who, who fall short, but sure. repent. All of the guys other than the Lord that you mentioned, they all fell short too. Right. It's just not delineated. Right. Yeah. And uh, that, that's why, um, that's why, you know, uh, Samson, we looked at Samson last week. You know, Samson's mentioned in Hebrews 11 as a man of faith, even though his whole life, I, th I think... Jephthah, or is it Sam? See, this, and it could be Jephthah. This could be this stuff kicking in. But my point is, even if he's not, and you're not recording this, are you? Good, because errors are flowing out of my mouth even as I speak. Um, the, I, I think the reason that we see those guys in the Old Testament, warts and all, that's an encouragement to me. <coughs> Samson is there. Okay, good. Um, and Samson messed up his whole life, really, except towards the end, you see. So uh, what am I trying to say? I have no idea. <laughs> what, I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is this. I think a lot of times we see our failures and our weaknesses and, gosh, I screwed up here, and I, oh, you know. And I hear this all the time from guys. God could never use me. God could, I say, why couldn't God use you? I'm a failure. I'm a failure. Well, okay. 
then you tell me who else God's going to use. God has no one else to choose from except failures. Would you agree with that? Every guy in this room has failed. We just have failed in different ways and in varying degrees. We're all failures. Uh, that's why we keep, it drives us back to Christ. It drives us back to mercy. It drives us back to forgiveness. I think mercy is a great word, don't you? Man, you live under that mercy. We got one more right here. Yeah. You know, we talked a lot in the study about men doing what was right in their own eyes. Yeah. And um, as Christian men, I know myself, I, I pray for God's will to prevail in my life. But uh, oftentimes there are situations that can be very cleverly disguised by the enemy as yeah. opportunities. Yeah. Can you offer some advice on, on topics of prayer that will help us to discern uh, what is truly God's will in our life and what is, you know, battles of the, of the, of the flesh? Yeah, you know, Ephesians 6 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the wiles of the devil, the King James says. How many of you guys use the word wiles in your vocabulary this week? W-I-L-E-S. We don't use that term. That, that term wiles means strategies. So throw that in. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. What does First Peter say? Um, uh, be on the alert, your adversary, the devil, goes to and fro like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, sometimes the devil comes to us and tempts, as a roaring lion, but other times he's very, very subtle. Very subtle. And, and that's, those are the greatest temptations. So how do you, dis, how do you, how do you discern? Um, the, what the devil offers us when he's subtle, he offers us a counterfeit. Mormonism is a counterfeit. I, I've met, as you have, some fine people who love their families <coughs> that have been deceived by Mormonism. They think, they say, well, it's Christian. It's not Christian. The Jesus of Mormonism is not the Jesus of the Bible. They've been deceived. You know why they've been deceived? Well, they, they bought a counterfeit. When, uh, when treasury agents are trained, when Secret Service agents are trained in regard to recognizing counterfeit money, during the extent of their training, which covers weeks and weeks and weeks, they never, ever show them a counterfeit bill. All they do is give them the real thing. So they're familiar with the texture. They're familiar with the paper. Their, their fingers get sensitive to the weave, uh, the color. The, and see, the point is this. If you want to recognize a counterfeit, then you have to be familiar with the real thing. So what I would say, what's our greatest event? It's the Word of God. You have to be in this book. Um, that, that's how you fight counterfeits. That's how you fight deception. If you'll notice, the, the, the cults, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, whatever, they always have another book if any group wants to, they've always got another book. You don't need another book. 
you see. So, so to me, it's just real clear how, how you fight deception. Is As a secret service man, never looks at the counterfeit, but he knows the real thing. That's what we do. Thy word I have hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. What did Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So you got to be in this book. I think that's how you do it. Does that make sense? It's a good way to end this session, guys. And uh, Don't you think? So keep your Bibles open. Let's do that. What you got, Chad? Thanks, Steve. We appreciate it. Let's, let's thank Steve for what he's done yeah. for us. Before we go, I want to do a couple of things. Um, I want to encourage you to do something for me. You, you've kind of started it tonight with uh, sharing how this uh, Wednesday night. With us as a group, uh, not enough room, just put your hand on the guy but next to you. And sure. Come on up and we'll, we'll pray for Steve. Great. <clears throat> Father, you are a mighty and awesome God, and you alone are worthy to be praised. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your humble servant, Steve Farrar, to minister to us, to give us the truth of your word. I pray, Lord, that he would never stray from that truth and that he would continue to lead us and guide our paths through your word, and that through all of this, Lord, that you would be glorified. Father, we pray for Steve as uh, he takes a vacation in Hawaii. Lord, we just pray that you would... Restore him and renew his strength. That he get a chance to relax. Uh, that he and Mary would get some real quality time with each other and just get away from it all. Father, we lift up Mary. We pray that you would uh, continue to minister to her in the battle that she has with Epstein-Barr. We pray, Lord, that you would give her relief. We pray that this, uh, this medication and this treatment would be effective. Father, we too pray for Steve and Mary's relationship as husband and wife. We thank you for what you have taken them through that has enabled Steve to teach us. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to grow them close to one another and that you would use them as a wonderful team to continue to minister to, to your people. Father, we pray too uh, for the summer and, and family coming home with Rebecca and Josh and John. Just pray that there would be a wonderful reunion with everyone and that they would enjoy each other's company and have lots of laughs and lots of fun together. We pray, too, for Steve's book. Uh, Lord, I know there's an awful lot there that has to be done in a short period of time. We pray for clarity of thought. We pray for uh, the hook, as Steve calls it, that he's looking for, and uh, that it would be uh, written expeditiously. Lord, I pray that you would keep him on the path that you want him to ride on and that he would not stray from that. We pray that you would use this book to minister... To, uh, to those folks that need to hear this and that you would change lives for you. Lord, thank you for his ministry. Thank you for his love for us. Thank you, Lord, for the example that he has given us to follow. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would use him in the way that you see fit. We thank you for the humble servant that you have given us. We pray that you would give him safety this summer in all of his travels and good rest and relaxation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chad. Thanks very much. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate you, man. All right. Guys, that's it. Y'all have a great Thanks. summer. Thanks.